And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So, the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to Four to Six with A and B, your Ohio State podcast brought to you by the Athletics. The Landis joined by Ari Wasserman, recording on a Thursday morning after Ohio State signed its 2021 recruiting class. Buckeyes are a couple days away from playing Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship on Saturday in Indianapolis. We will Indianapolis. That's how you say the name of the city, right? Indianapolis. Uh, Indianapolis. That's yeah. Yeah, we're all we're all fried. Uh, Saturday in Indianapolis. We'll give our picks for that game. Talk a little bit about the playoff scenarios um, at hand because Florida's lurking, and I think it's worth talking about. Also, have a couple of questions that I wanted to get Ari's opinion on, so we'll get to those later in the show as well. But let's start with recruiting Ari. Ohio State drama-free National Signing Day, which I suppose Ohio State likes, but you know, a little drama is always good for us. But there wasn't any. 21 commits all signed before 11 o'clock in the morning Eastern time, including the two guys who were out West. They all got their letters in early. And, yeah, they got all their guys, 21. Where do they stand in the race for the number one class? I know Alabama picked up some guys. Uh, Georgia made some moves. LSU added some guys. So where does the national race for the number one class in 2021 stand right now? I think Alabama won it. It's over? Uh, Yeah, I don't know that it – I haven't played with the calculator to do every single scenario possible, um, but Alabama flipped a two players out of LSU's class on uh, Wednesday, and one of them was a four-star receiver named JoJo Earl, and he was a top 50 player. Um, so the fact of the matter is is that also Alabama um, signed another top 200 player 
uh, from LSU's class, and they're still in the mix for multiple other players. And like the best case scenario for Ohio State's finish right now um, is landing JT Tuamalau, which uh, released a top five and will probably sign or announce sometime in, in January or February, and then maybe Rajon Davis from LSU. But I think that's all speculation at this point, and like. He, he didn't sign, and I think that's a that that might mean that he wants to see how things go with the program and everything, you know, moving forward. But even if Ohio State signs those two guys, I think Alabama is signing is is one commitment away from potentially closing this thing up for good. And like Ohio State has to do both to have a chance. And like you know, it's just kind of a tough situation for Ohio State because you know they are neck and neck, and the average player rating in the class right now is. Uh, 94.60 for Alabama and 94.56, which is uh, is about as razor thin as you possibly can. But Alabama has three more commitments in Ohio State. So when you when you look at the rankings, the quantity is uh, a bigger impact than um, the quality sometimes. And if Alabama adds one more player, even if Ohio State ends up with a higher player average, um, it might not have enough points to surpass them in the rankings right now for what they did. They're just going to have a bigger class, and that's life. But you know what's crazy, Bill, is like if Alabama wins this, this will be the ninth time in like 11 years or 12 years that Saban has won the recruiting crown. And it's just like I, I hope people who know that he's the best coach in college football can appreciate that that might be harder than actually winning the games that he did on the field. Like, which one do you think is harder? <laughs> winning national... Ch- like, I mean, I'm sure they're, they're one and the same, but, like, what do you think is a more impressive feat? Five championships in 10 years or nine recruiting clowns in <laughs> <at> 11? <laughs> Obviously national championships, yeah. but, like, one doesn't happen without the other. One doesn't happen without the other, and it is insane, too. Like, and, and Ohio State kind of did it, um, like, positionally with this class, but to just continue to stack the best players in the country on top of the best players in the country every single year. Like, you'd think they'd have a dip. And I guess they had a dip, like, a couple of years ago. I think they finished, like, second or third. Um, but to be number one more often than not is it, pretty insane. The, the gap, the the total points for the the final rankings of the classes, Alabama's got a nine-point lead. I don't even think, like, if they if Ohio State got JT, that I don't think a five-star prospect closes a nine-point gap. I don't think that's, think that's how the math works. But Alabama, like you said, has guys out there, too. The player average is more interesting to me. I, I do wonder if they get JT, if Ohio State can can again lead in the national player average, which is something it's done a couple times, even though it hasn't ever actually won the recruiting crown in terms of overall points. Uh, they're right on the cusp of Urban Meyer's best class, 2017, was 94.59, which currently stands as the best ever, but Alabama can also um, un- unseat that class too. But it is crazy to me, and I wrote about this um, in my final thoughts off the class. I guess we've talked about it a little bit. But you can go read that, theathletic.com slash 4-6, get you a nice two-for-one. Go read my final thoughts on recruiting and go read the approximately 20,000 words that Ari wrote on recruiting this week. It's all deadly. <laughs> it's all deadly. Uh, this 2021 class has, like, as many top 100 players, as many five-star prospects, and basically the same average player rating of Myers' 2017 and 2018 classes. So his best classes at Ohio State, Ryan Day, has has – all but matched in his really like second class at Ohio State. Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, I don't know. Like at a certain point, the question is, is it even possible to do better? 
Because, like, I wonder if there's a ceiling in how good a class can be. And, like, is it physically possible for any single recruiting class to, like, land 11 five-stars out of the 33? Like, I mean, you get to a certain point where it's just impossible to do better. And I think, like, Ohio State and Alabama are, like, banging on the ceiling of how good a class can be. Because at a certain point, it's just geography and, um, I mean, there's 31 of them. Like, you can't get 10. You can't get a third of the five-star prospects. So, like, if you're you're signing five or even six or in a position, that's almost 20%. Or fifteen percent of every five-star prospect in America going to one place, like they're at the cusp of the the most elite class humanly possible to assemble. Yeah, Georgia got uh, seven five stars in twenty eighteen. Bama has six this year. It had six in twenty seventeen. Just trying to go back through the last couple of years to see, but it's like, yeah, double-digit five stars doesn't appear to be anything that anyone's come close to pulling off. Um, in the modern recruiting area, yeah, it's all five, six, four, three, and then the, the one time that Georgia got seven. So Ohio State has just a five reminder this year. It's just a reminder, Bill, that like five-star prospects are scarce. There's just not many of them, and I don't know that people put it in that. Pers- you got to have the context of it. If there's only 31 in the country, or 35 some years at most, like getting one is huge. Yep. So getting two, getting three, getting four, getting five. And the other thing, too, Bill, is that the players that Ohio State has that aren't five-star in the top 100 are marginally worse. Marginally. Yeah. Like, there's the Corey Foremans of the world who's, like, the number one player who's, like, this year's version of Chase Young. And wherever he goes, he's going to be a first-round pick probably because there's certain kids that are just built that way. And I think at defensive end, you can analyze that and, and point that out a little bit better than at other positions. But if you get the number 44 overall player – and a five-star prospect is the number 31 overall player. Given the fact there's like 50,000 high school football players, like nine spots, like if you're getting anybody in the top 100, you know, again, it's not as good as a top 10 player, but they're all elite, elite, elite prospects because it's just so hard to get into the top 10. So the fact that like, and I don't know if you saw the stat that I tweeted, Bill, but going into the early signing period, 38 players of the, out of the top 100 were going to one of four schools. Clemson, Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State. And by the time this is over with, it might get close to 50. Especially because Alabama flipped one from LSU and LSU had eight. So, like, you're you're looking at six teams total, maybe. Oklahoma's having a great year, especially on the offensive side of the ball, if they get Tristan Lay and, and Kamar Wheaton. But you got six at seven teams at most that are, are signing players that are good enough to win a national championship in the rest of the sport, which is 100 other teams doesn't have a shot in hell. And, like, I don't know, you know, that's my thesis of Stars Matter. I understand that there's there's good, there's bad, there bad players or bad ratings turn out to be great and good players are bust sometimes. But if you're signing that many players all at once and they're only going to seven schools, how can a team like Iowa State, who's having maybe the best program uh, or a uh, year in program history, expect to compete at that level? And it's like they're number six in the rankings right now, but it's just like that is remarkable. Yeah, I mean they don't they don't have a hope of of competing. I, I don't think. I mean, I guess in any one off year you can get lucky um, and and kind of uh, strike gold a little bit, find a little bit of magic in your season and do it. But on the whole, like yeah, why would you ever ever have any hope? There are uh, f- six programs that have signed multiple five star prospects. Um, Alabama has six. Ohio State has five. Georgia has four. LSU and Clemson each have two. Miami has two. Nobody else has more than one, and only a handful of other programs even have one. Um, it's pretty crazy. There are only 
let's see, Corey Foreman has signed but hasn't announced. We're waiting on JT Tulumaloao. Tristan Lay did not sign, which is noteworthy. Terrence Lewis didn't sign. Yeah, I don't want to like steal your thunder here, Bill, but you know the 20,000 words on recruiting that I wrote? Yep. It's going to be about 21,000 in about an hour, and I just wrote the best players available still. Um, if you want me to run down those that list for you. No, you know, we, know, people, you know what we should do is have people huh. go to subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash 4-6, get you two for one and go read it. Don't give it away. Don't give away the goods. Thanks for putting me in check right now. Uh, how about we give away three, and then they have to go get the other okay, seven. Okay, there you go. Corey Foreman, JT Tuimalau, and Tristan Lay. Didn't you already say those? <laughs> yeah, I think I might have said one or two others, too. <laughs> for a dollar, uh, whatever, yeah. whatever, it's two dollars or one dollar. There's no difference between one dollar and two for one. It's a two for one. Go read it. Okay, yeah. I have uh, I have some other recruiting things I want to ask you, but we'll circle back on that in a bit. Uh, let's talk about the Big Ten Championship and some playoff stuff. Uh, Ohio State Northwestern Saturday at noon, which is notable. Big Ten Championship game is usually at 8 o'clock and then creates the most miserable 24 hours ever when you have to drive back uh, from Indianapolis to Columbus at 7 o'clock in the morning after covering 8 o'clock game to make sure you're back in time to see the playoff selection show. We don't have to do that this year, which is nice. Games at noon. Is it weird that I miss that? Yeah, I hate that's like my – well, the Sunday is a fun day. It's like when you learn the playoff matchup and you like start digging in and like – looking way far ahead way way farther ahead than let you me, should let me break this down yeah. for the people you get in on friday you hit the jack in a box on the way back no we're, we're not there no. yet <laughs> friday night you get in there early and you get to stay in the nice marriott downtown where all the media stays then you go to a place like uh rock bottom or something get yourself a nice little you know fat uh, uh, casual restaurant but not too nice yeah but something where you can really smash some food then maybe you hit the steak and shake and get a shake on the way home as the snow flurries come down and get a nice... You wake up early the next morning and you get to watch all the other conference championship games because the SEC game is usually on leading into the Big Ten, or it had been in the past. Yeah. Um, and that's after you've had lunch at TGI Fridays while you cover a basketball game at a bar top. <laughs> then we go cover the game, and Ohio State usually plays in an interesting dynamic one way or the other, whether they're almost losing to Wisconsin or beating them 59 nothing. Then you get the late-night Zah. At midnight. Yep. Okay. Then you go back to the hotel room and you, after writing, you probably fall asleep around 2.30 a.m. Then you wake up at 6 a.m. to get in the car and drive back to Columbus to get there on time. Burger King breakfast on the way to the thing. Then roosters after the press conference and podcast on the indoor. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Am I just describing why I've got a little bit of a weight problem? <laughs> <laughs> problem is getting less and less every day that goes by, but it's days like that that are going to help me uh, keep it off, I think. Yeah, well, that, that, literally none of that is happening this year. The only thing that's happening this year is I will be in Indianapolis, but I, I won't be going to a restaurant. I won't be going to Roosters afterward. Um, jack in the Box? I don't, I don't know. I'm not a big... Love the hesitation. Jack, Love it. I'm a Jack in the Box guy, to be, to be honest. What do you get at Jack in the Box? And then we'll get back to this, but like that's an important... They have like one of those fast food menus that has everything? Yeah, I... Uh, I think I've had like a burger that came on like sourdough toast one time. I've gotten the the dollar taco, whatever it is, which isn't good at all. Um, I don't know the few the handful of things I've had there I've not enjoyed. They have one of the best breakfast sandwiches in fast food, and it's twenty four hours. Trust me on. Oh, that. you know what? I have They're, had breakfast there. It wasn't bad. You know where I, yeah, I had it in Arizona is where I had it. Yeah, yeah. and were we together? Uh, Yes. No, that was when I made you eat the tacos, I think. Yeah, you took me to eat the tacos one time, yeah. Yeah. I love the tacos, but I've never had them sober. 
Maybe that was my problem. I was sober when I had them. Yeah. Okay. Let's get back. Okay. <laughs> Just I love a good Jack in the Box <laughs> yeah. rant. You know. Uh, let's let's talk about the game for a second and give our picks, and then we can talk about like playoff implications implications after that. The spread's twenty and a half. Hasn't really moved off that all week. Um, I think it's worth noting that Northwestern. I always struggle with this. Like Northwestern has a number one pass defense in the country, like both in efficiency and like yards per attempt. I think you can look at it and say it's like strength on strength. Ohio State's passing game against Northwestern's defense, and wonder whether or not Northwestern can do anything to slow down Ohio State's offense. But I feel like every year there's a Big Ten defense like this, and the numbers get propped up a little bit because there's no other good offensive teams in the conference other than Ohio State. And then when that defense that everybody thinks is good gets on the field with Ohio State, you think, oh yeah. Ohio State's way better. They haven't seen a team like this yet. So, like, I, my, my lean is that it's going to play out like that. I think Northwestern's got a good defense. I don't think they have a great defense, at least someone that's great enough to slow down Ohio State. So I'm I'm leaning more toward a blowout. But do you think, like, is there any world where you envision Northwestern's defense, like, actually slowing down Justin Fields and Ohio State? Well, it depends on, like, what your definition of slowing down is. Yeah. Like, what would you think is a successful – point total for Northwestern's defense to hold Ohio State to? 35. 28, maybe. 28 be really good. 35, I think, is 31. is really good. So, yeah, I don't... I think that Ohio State won't score 40. Really? But I think it's going to score 38. Yeah. Like, I think it's going to be... If it's not 38, it might be 42. I don't know if this is going to be... I think people like have romantic ideas of uh, memories of the 59 nothing Wisconsin game, and I guess that's always on the table because Ohio State feels like it needs to prove something probably, which is something we can get to next. Um, but like I, I envision a game like 38-17 or 38-14 where it's like right on the number. and Because like, I don't know that uh, Northwestern can score in the 20s. So you know, I think if they, if they hold Ohio State to... In the mid thirties or upper thirties, I think that would be a successful day for their defense. But I also don't know that their offense is capable enough of scoring three touchdowns. And like I'd love Pat Fitzgerald as a coach, and he's not like somebody who I would make cowardly field goal predictions for, uh, unless it's in the first quarter. And like that's why I would give them fourteen or, or seventeen because I don't think they're going to be kicking field goals in the third quarter when they're down twenty-one to three or whatever it's going to be. Yeah. So. Like, I think that Northwestern has a respectable defense, but, like, the thing that is always important to remember is a lot of the games in the past where Ohio State has struggled with Northwestern has either been in Evanston, where they've done a pretty good job of, you know, the long grass and mucking it up, and whatever happens in that stadium, it's a weird place. Last time we went there together, actually, didn't they just win by 100? Last year, yeah. The spread was, like, 21 or something, and they, yeah, when we had, uh, what was the pie we ate? We had, um, uh, crap, what was it called? Pequods. Pequods, yeah, and then I, like, I broke yeah. my ankle outside the stadium, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then one of the parents, uh, players' parents helped. Bill KJ Hill's dad helped me off the ground. Yeah, KJ what, Hill's father, an angel. Bill, who who ate who ate brick yeah. up off the ground. 300, 300 pound man full of pizza lying prone on the ground after he broke his ankle, and KJ Hill's dad just extends his hand from the heavens and helps me up off the ground. Watching Landis limp into the stadium was kind of like sad, but also hilarious. Um, you know, and Ohio State never struggled, but I just think that like when you're playing an Ohio State team that's healthy. Moderately fresh, um, depending on who plays, pretty good spot from a personnel standpoint in an indoor stadium with something to prove against a team who just, frankly put, doesn't have the athletes to contain them. I think 38-17 or 38-14 is a very respectable game for Northwestern. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, I think so too. That's a, little, that that's a little closer than I have um, in my mind. I, I I'm picking 42 to 10, so a little more lopsided. I I don't think a Wisconsin style blowout slash shutout is on the table. Uh, I do give Northwestern's defense a little more credit than that. The way they play, I think, can make it difficult to really run up the score on a team like that because unless they change their plan, they're going to back off. They play like they're going to play cover four. They're going to back off, play their corner soft, play their safeties fairly far off the line, drop their linebackers in the, in the pass coverage and, and make you dink and dunk down the field a little bit. And Ohio State can certainly do that with fields and those receivers. And then it all comes down to how you execute in the red zone. And Ohio State has not been – it's been fine in the red zone. It's been good enough. It hasn't. It's not as good as it was last year. Um, and Northwestern's defense in the red zone is really good. That's why they're 6-1 and one or whatever they are and have one of the best defenses in the country. So I, I do think maybe Ohio State might settle for a field goal once – um, but but mostly I just think if they're not going to move the ball up and down the field at will all game and then score touchdowns on top of that. I think Northwestern's a little better than that, and I and I do respect their the back end of their defense. Um, no, there's probably I don't Doug Doug Lee Maurice asked me this um, whether or not I thought that that uh, the two like best guys in the back end of Northwestern's defense, Brandon Joseph and Greg Newsom, like would like would start at Ohio State this year. Newsom as a corner, Joseph as a as a safety, and I like said no outright, but now like having gone back and watched it, like maybe they would. Ohio State secondary is not that good this year, so I think those are two talented guys, but I don't think the two of them are enough to keep Ohio State scoring <clears throat> from scoring anything less than thirty eight, like where you're at. So I'm at forty two to ten. I think it's a comfortable win, <clears throat> but stepping beyond that, do you think it needs to be like what's your level of concern? I guess if this is a close ish game for Ohio State. Are we getting to the point now where it's just win and you're in? I I don't know. Like we're getting depending on the way that things go, I don't know that um there's really anybody else to put in. Like that's the thing. You know, and, and as much as I scream at the heavens that USC was misranked 13th, I don't know that they're even an option. I think they're dead. And you're you're talking about maybe a two-loss uh Big 12 champion in in A&M. And like Doug who we reference on every podcast, and I, I miss dearly, uh, said on his podcast a few weeks ago or this week. I can't. I listen to his, his podcast all the time because I love listening to him speak. But he said that some years there are six playoff teams, and you have to find a way to get how to pick six and make it into four. And some years there's three playoff teams, and you have to find a fourth. And some years there's four. And I think this year there's four. And I think it's the four that are in the top four right now. Now, unfortunately for, for Notre Dame and Clemson, they happen to be as a result of COVID in the same conference. 
and are playing twice. So that kind of mucks things up a little bit. But like, what makes a playoff team? It's eye test. It's knowing what the personnel you know is on those teams. It's seeing them beat good teams or or not lose. And those four teams, I think, are a step above the rest. So like, if things go according to plan at least from a Vegas standpoint, you got 17-point favorite Alabama playing Florida. I don't think anybody expects Florida to win that game. Ohio State's a 20-and-a-half-point favorite against Northwestern, and Clemson's an 11-and-a-half-point favorite against Notre Dame. So, like, even if everything just goes straight up the way it's supposed to, Bama beats Florida, Clemson beats Notre Dame, Ohio State beats Northwestern, like, that's the easiest result for the committee. You put the four teams in right now that seem like to be the four four obvious answers, and then you don't have to figure out who that fourth team is. Yeah. <clears throat> I think things start getting tricky if there's a, a fourth spot that needs to open up, which means a Notre Dame win over Clemson again. And then you're talking about Texas A&M, two lost Clemson, and potentially the, the winner of the Big 12 championship game. And I know people are really tired of Oklahoma, so just bear with me on this. But if Oklahoma beats Iowa State that avenges one of their losses, and they're a Big 12 champ that's playing probably better than anybody in the country, at least offensively right now. Defense is moderately improved. I could view Oklahoma as a one-loss conference champion because if you beat the team that beat you, then that kind of cancels that out in my mind. So that would be like a weird fluky loss to Kansas State. They lost to a really good Iowa State team Then at the end of the year they proved, like if they win by 14 or something, doesn't that like make them a candidate? Um you know, so like if all the favorites in the in the conference championship games win, it's just the easiest Sunday in the world. And Andy Staples made this point. If that happens, it might be a boring Sunday, but it's going to be an awesome playoff. Yeah. So I think that that's kind of like what we're hoping for here. And if that if that does happen, I would envision the final rankings would be number one Alabama, number two Clemson, number three Ohio State, and number four Notre Dame. So you get the Notre Dame Bama matchup. That's the most favorable matchup for for Alabama of a team who lost its conference championship game. And then you get a rematch with Ohio State-Clemson. It's a TV ratings gold mine, and nobody on the outside looking in can slam their their fist against the table and say we were left out because, you know, losses have to matter. Yep. You know, and I know Ohio State didn't play uh, very many games, and we've had columns on the athletic. We had an SEC column from Georgia writer Seth Emerson suggesting that teams who don't play enough games shouldn't be qualified to play, and I think that, like, I disagree with that. Um, but it's obviously an interesting discussion because not everybody does. So in this year, Bill, um, you know, that's kind of where we're at right now. And the only weird scenario, I think, where where things could get hairy is if Florida somehow beats Alabama. What do you do with Florida there? And then at that point, who, if Clemson beats Notre Dame, who is Florida being compared to? Are they being compared to Ohio State or are they being compared to Notre Dame? Yeah, it's interesting to me. Like, I, I think you and I both thought that Florida losing to LSU – would have been and should have been an eliminating kind of loss, but instead they just dropped them back one spot and they're lingering there at number seven. Now, I don't think they have any chance to beat Alabama, and I don't think you do either, although that spread's a little closer than I thought it would be. Uh, it's still double digits. Um, but if that happens, yeah, I, I if Florida beats Alabama and is compared to if Florida beats Alabama and Clemson loses, so then you have basically like Florida, Clemson, Ohio State. Like I think Ohio State's in, and then you're comparing Clemson and Florida. Um, and I don't know who. To, I guess Florida might win that if they both have two losses and Florida has a conference championship. Um, if Notre Dame loses to Clemson, and then it's like you have Notre Dame, Ohio State, and Florida with an SEC championship. I don't know. I st- I still think Ohio State might get the benefit of the doubt there with the conference title, and then you're still comparing Florida and Notre Dame. I think. But I guess it could be different. 
Um, so I, I, I tend to think that Ohio State is fine either way, and margin of victory on Saturday doesn't matter all that much. But it's also worth noting, and you made the point earlier, like Ohio State typically goes into this game with a lot of things already decided that day. Like they're playing at noon, and everything's going to happen after that. And I don't know if I don't think it would change Ryan Day's approach to the game, but I do wonder if they'd be more inclined to be in let's keep this pedal down and blow them out as much as we possibly can because we don't know what's going to happen later on Sat on Championship Saturday. Yeah, I mean, if if it's going to come down to a debate, if Ohio State's going to be compared head to head with another team, then you're obviously in a position where you want to look good. Yeah, because that's all Ohio State has right now. I just don't know if there is a position where you know. And like, what would a bad game look like, Bill? Like, like could Ohio State beat Northwestern seventeen to fourteen? Like, I don't know if those types of games are even on the table. Like, what would have to happen for it to be a bad game? Northwestern's offense is not very good, so if they move the ball on Ohio State's defense, which has been suspect at times this year, I think that becomes alarming. I think something. Yeah. I think if it's like if it's like uh, forty-two to. I don't know, 28, but it's like it's closer than that. And like Ohio State tucks out, tacks on a touchdown at the end to make it a two score win instead of a one score win. I think something like that would, would raise some red flags. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's not so much about what the final score is, how, as much as it is how much Northwestern scores, I guess, if you're in that, in that scenario. But in a year where teams are canceling games, teams are reshuffling schedules, it's just like I understand that the committee rewards uh, teams for, for, quality wins as it should but wins have to matter and but so do losses mm-hmm. and you know Ohio State doesn't have a very strong strength of schedule it's through no no fault of their own but Michigan and Penn State aren't what they usually were um they didn't play Michigan you know their best win is Indiana and even that who did Indiana beat so like you can play the game and then you can ask yourself the question Bill who did anybody beat right. you know and there's only a few teams that have elite level wins and like Texas A&M has one of them because they beat a top ten team, and Notre Dame has the best win in college football this year. So you know, and then but Florida is going to potentially, you know, they're playing Alabama, and Alabama can potentially add that to their list too. So you know, we've seen teams win a national championship without quality wins because you can't always get them on the way there. Um, the thing I just think we need to consider here is if Florida shocks the world and beats Alabama. That is going to be a very powerful discussion point for the committee. We've seen the committee reward teams all the time for losing close games to Bama. Can you imagine if they they stepped up on the SEC championship stage and won that football game as the number seven team in the country? I absolutely think they could jump to number four. Yeah, I think so too. Which is why it's a little surprising to me that the committee like put themselves in that position. They could have dropped like Florida to like number eleven if they wanted to, because that loss to LSU was awful. But they only dropped them one spot and like created this potential disaster scenario for them. Like they just made their lives more difficult when they didn't have to. Because if, if Florida was number eleven and beat Alabama, um, and you didn't want to jump Florida up seven spots to play in the Final Four, I think everyone would be like, okay, that makes sense. But if you have them sitting there at seven and you don't do it, like that really doesn't make any because we've seen them move teams like that up before. They moved Ohio State up two spots in twenty fourteen after they won fifty nine to nothing. So like it's been done. Um but I don't know why. Like, there's no reason to have Florida at seven or at number seven. They don't deserve to be at number seven. I just, you know, the the committee votes in tiers, so it's like hard to always figure out exactly why teams landed where they did. But to me, if I were in the committee room, and I hope one day I can just go do this because I want to do the trial run and like freak out at everybody. There is a sports writer on the uh, committee, I believe. Yeah, maybe that could um, be you someday. That would be great. Uh, but I want to just do the mock one mm. like Doug did. And 
I would, as a committee member, view the final rankings or the rankings leading into the final selection as a poker hand. Whereas you're playing poker and you're so good, that's why they call you dollars B. Mm -hmm. They show you the flop, right? And that's the first piece of information that you, or the first piece of information are your first two cards. Then you get the flop. So as the as the hand progresses, you're getting closer and closer to the finality of the hand. If I were a committee member, I would want more outs. I would want the cards that come out to be better for me or to give me more options of potentially making a hand. So like USC being number 13, why aren't they nine? That doesn't mean that they, they are any better or worse than they are right now, but you put them in a position where they could feasibly jump if you want to make that decision at the end. But by putting them too far back and putting Florida too too far up after losing, you know, you're just kind of boxing yourself in for what kind of decision that you can make on the last day. And I don't know if any team is physically capable, regardless, USC could beat Oregon 65 to nothing. Mm. I don't know if there's anything that can happen to get them to jump into number four anymore. But like, what is the committee's incentive to take options off the table to work with on Sunday? And it's like, Florida is still an option. So I understand how that worked out. I don't know if they think this way, but if I were a committee member, I would rank them rank teams based on who was alive and who was dead in my mind. And USC should be alive and in that discussion so that when they have to pick four teams, if things go off the rails a little bit and Florida wins or Clemson loses again, and you have to find your fourth team, that you would have a bigger pot to select from. Because like they're putting themselves in a position now where if if Clemson loses to Notre Dame again, it's like they have to put AM in. And it's like, I don't think I would take AM over over USC or one or two loss Oklahoma even mm-hmm. who won their championship and avenged their their loss against the best team the second best team in their conference like I don't like they're like putting themselves in a position to have to just like let somebody in and then the other thing too is would the committee even change like if Notre Dame beats Clemson twice does that give them the best win to put them in number one and then move Alabama down to number two thus rewarding the number four team for walking in without playing in a conference championship game like, there's a lot of weirdness here. Like, we don't want to reward Texas A&M, do we? They didn't even have to play this weekend in, in a game that mattered. They're playing Tennessee, but they're not playing in the in the game that they could lose. So there's a lot of, like, weird thinking here. And, like, Nicole wrote a really good column about, like, how the rankings don't make sense. And, you know, for the most part, I think the top four are unequivocally correct right now. And those are the only ones that matter. But as we're trying to analyze the way that the committee is approaching approaching this and thinking about it, like, from a totality standpoint, from 1 to 13, they don't make sense to me. Yeah, they don't make any sense. I didn't consider the fact that, that Notre Dame, or the idea that Notre Dame might move to number 1 if it beats Clemson again. But it does make sense. I mean, if I, I don't know that it'll ever happen unless the committee gets cute and wants to move the... Nobody wants to watch A&M play Alabama again. Yeah. Everybody will watch it because it's the playoff, but it's not a desirable matchup. So, if they do that, Clemson beating Clemson... What's a better resume? Beating Clemson twice? Or Florida or Alabama beating Florida and Georgia? I think beating Clemson twice. So, like, you could make the argument that Notre Dame is the number one team in college football. Thus, sidestepping a matchup that nobody wants to see because we know what would happen. And then letting Texas A&M potentially have an easier... Because everybody with eyes knows Alabama's number one. Yeah. I don't care what the resumes say. Alabama is the best team in college football right now. But if they committee jiggers this to put it into a situation where Notre Dame gets to play Texas A&M or Texas A&M gets to play Notre Dame, you've now created an easier route for the number four seed than the number three seed. Yeah, but I'd get to go to New Orleans. That'd be fun. Yeah. That's the, that's the last city on earth I'd want to go to right now. 
Yeah, I don't really want to go anywhere, but uh, I do like beignets. I think we should all just move everything to Dallas. You come stay in the guest room. Why aren't they doing this whole thing in Dallas? Every time I see something like, oh, the Rose Bowl might move. Like, there's not going to be any fans. I wonder if they'll move it to Indianapolis. Like, why aren't we playing the whole freaking thing in Dallas? Just, I, like, the charade is up. Like, we all there know, no we all know the either. deal is. Just bubble the teams at Jerry World for two weeks and play there. Yeah, there's some Raising Canes around there, too, where they could practice. That's right. Raising Canes, there's that, that pizza place. Would you leave the bubble? What's that pizza place called? I don't know. We good. ate there together. I don't yeah, remember what it's called. Like, there was like hot honey on the pizza. If there's a pizza good. place in the vicinity of a practice facility, Landis yeah, and I have eaten there. We've been there. Yeah. <laughs> Just not Campisi's. Campisi's blows. Uh, yeah, okay, it's so. It's, it's, it's trash pie. Let's. Uh, are we are we both Ohio think thinking Ohio State just needs to win and it's in it doesn't matter what the margin is? I do, but I think there is a, a danger scenario still if Alabama loses. So like I think that the obvious answer is it'd be great for Ohio State if they had a comfortable, easy looking win and you know, the resume's better, but I don't know that they're one hundred percent in with a win. I think they're like ninety five percent in with a win. Yeah, I think they're like ninety nine percent in with a win. Maybe ninety nine. Yeah. whatever. There's no difference. But you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah. I think it's winning her, and I think it's fine. Um, and I think they'll win comfortably because they're really good. And Northwestern, I just don't think can keep up with them. Um, before we move on, just monitoring Twitter as we're recording this, and this is maybe irresponsible of me to say this, but I think it's interesting. Uh, there's some plane tracking going on, and apparently there's a flight between uh, Auburn, Alabama, and Bloomington, Indiana that is. Uh, on the docket or has already left and people are now talking about how much tom allen's buyout is so that's interesting oh i thought gus malzahn was going to take the indiana job. <laughs> maybe maybe that's it maybe tom maybe allen's hiring gus malzahn as his offensive yeah to be the offensive coordinator <laughs> yeah. that would actually be hilarious can i ask you a question in the history of plane tracking has it ever been correct no because like while this is happening like bruce feldman our colleague is reporting that like kevin Steele, the defensive coordinator is emerging as a favorite candidate which like has been reported I think since the day Gus Malzahn got hired, and also hilarious to pay whatever what was Gus Malzahn's buyout like twenty five million or something like that. Pay, yeah, it's twenty five twenty five million dollars so you can promote your defensive coordinator to head coach is insane human behavior. But it is Auburn, so I guess it's not that surprising. You think about how much money corporate America wastes. Think about how much money these programs waste. Yeah, they're just setting it on fire. Good for them. I hope it works out for them. Okay. Uh, we got, it's a bold strategy, Connor. We got questions, and I have, I have, I guess, like, one question for you. Yeah, you've been teasing this question the entire podcast. I'm like, what is it? Is it a playoff question? No, is no, no. It's not. Question? I just, like, I, I have thoughts on, like, some stuff from the recruiting class, and I'm, like, curious what you think. It's nothing, like, I'm not going to ask you to split the atom here. It's nothing crazy. Um, okay. What do you – I wrote this, because I believe it, about Kyle McCord stepping in here as a freshman in three weeks and having a legitimate shot to be the starting quarterback. And Ryan Day said that he will because Ryan Day has to say that. What do you believe about that? Do you think that – is there a realistic scenario in your mind that fall 2021 Kyle McCord's Ohio State starting quarterback? Why wouldn't there be? Yeah, no, I know. I, I think it's very real. But I, I feel like he's getting dismissed a little bit. It's like, oh, they got C.J. Stroud, who's very good. And Jack Miller, I think, who has a, a pretty high ceiling, if you can say healthy. And, like, Quinn Ewer just coming behind him. And I feel like we're not entertaining enough the, the idea that Kyle McCord could actually be the starter next year. I think that we – I never just dismissed it as uh, Stroud's the guy. I think being a, a year in the system matters. You know, learning the playbook, getting the trust of your teammates – but these guys didn't play this year, right? So you know, if you didn't play, then you have a and you have a guy who's a five star bona fide, 
prospect who can throw the dart all over the all over the field. Why wouldn't he be in the competition? It's going to be. A th- isn't this what we always thought it would be? Yeah. Maybe it would have been more lopsided had Stroud and Miller played more. I mean, all preseason we talked about how much this would be a great opportunity for Ohio State to blow people out and preserve their team. You know, the same thing we do every year, and it just didn't work out that way. Games were canceled. Games that should have been blowouts turned into closer games. And there was never really an opportunity, you know. And both guys came in and I think had one scoring drive. Stroud had like a 60-yard touchdown run, and Miller had a run for a score in the opener, I think. So, like, I don't know that they've played meaningful enough reps to feel like they have a leg up. It's just a matter of how much you believe going through spring, and there was no spring, and going through fall and being on the team for you know, six more months is going to factor into the, in the competition. And I think that it it helps, but I don't know that it's a deciding factor. Yeah, I don't think it is either. Um, they just haven't, they've had a lot of time to like talk about things, but like not a lot of time to put those things into practice. And I think putting those things into practice on the field matters way more than talking about them. And it feels fairly even to me once Kyle McCord gets here in, in January how Ryan Day manages all that is going to be fascinating. Like, there's only so many reps you can get in a spring practice. I wouldn't expect him to come close to naming a starter after spring practice because he doesn't have to. But like Kyle McCord is, is really good. Like he's his arm is is kind of special. He's got a he's got like a cockiness to him, and I don't mean that in a bad way. That like I kind of like. Um, I think he's got a legitimate shot to be the starter next year, and maybe that's just because he plays for a high school in Philadelphia. But um, I like him. Trying to pub your story up right now? Theathletic.com slash 4-6 gets you a two-for-one. You can read my story about uh, Kyle McCord. For, <laughs> uh, to let people behind the curtain, like, for that story, I interviewed the offensive coordinator at St. Joe's Prep, who, like, I've known since I was, like, three or four. <laughs> he's he's the older brother of a kid I went to grade school with, and me and that and the OC at St. Joe's Prep were in high school together for, I think, a year or two. Um, so that was kind of strange. Did you uh, put an editor's note on there to make sure people didn't know you were biased? No. Somebody else somebody else tweeted at me how I knew from back home and, and accused me of, of bias. I think he was just joking. But it was kind of strange. It's like, like I never thought – like think about the people you've known growing up and it's like would it ever cross your mind that someday you'd be interviewing them for a story about college. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Football. It's like, no. But, uh, but that happens. That's cool. Yeah, it's kind of, a small world. It's kind of strange. Uh, um, the other thing... Ibo's... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No. no, you go ahead. The other thing I wanted to mention... This is like not really a question. I, I just I found it like fascinating, and I wanted to like kind of get your reaction to it, and, and maybe you know whether or not this happens at other places or, or how it's handled, but I asked Mark Pantone, who talked to us for his, his one time a year that he talks to us on signing day on Wednesday, and I asked him about... Uh, just sort of how they found Zen Mikowski, the 
offensive tackle that they ended up signing late in this class uh, from Floyd's Knobs, Indiana. And I just said, like, how, like, how is a guy like that getting a radar? Like, how do you go about finding that guy? And he said that he assigns people on his staff specific conferences, and then those people go and look at the recruiting classes in every con- of every team in that conference and, like, try to identify guys, basically, that they can poach, like, late in, late in the process. It wasn't like, oh, we've been watching Zen for a few years, and he finally popped, and we talked to him. I was like, no, we went on 247sports.com, looked at Louisville's recruiting class, saw a three-star lineman from our footprint that was at the bottom of their class and thought, we're going to look at that guy and offer him. And I thought that was, like, a little diabolical <laughs> on Ohio State's part to just, like, Pull up, pretty big word. pull up two four seven and find guys that you can poach and like I didn't th- I didn't think it would go that way. And I guess it's not surprising in hindsight to hear that it did go that way, but I thought like it was just like a very it was a very stark reminder to me of how ruthless I think Ohio State can be in recruiting, and I mean that in a good way. Um, to just like pull up the website and it's like yeah yeah we're gonna go get that guy. Yeah, it's very interesting because, like, what, they clicked on his profile, they saw his measurables and watched his tape, and, like, we got to look into this guy? Yeah, but the first step was just looking at at weaker programs that have commits from guys who were close to Ohio State that they could go poach. No, I know, but, like, that's, like, also 85% of college football, right? Maybe 90%? Yeah, I guess so. There's only one program that in that entire conference that isn't a weaker program. Yeah. But, like, yeah, I understand, like, going out and, like, taking somebody from your footprint that – um, that you know the home team who has them can't hold on to. Um, it's just a fascinating you know route because you know you usually think that these guys are identified four years earlier, you know, and during a pandemic year where you can't go see him in person or have him on campus or really know exactly what you're getting. I've just like that's very interesting. I'm just surprised to hear a little bit. Yeah, I was surprised he was he was so honest. It, it, I like how you the process in these things. It's like obviously. Like, Emeka Abuka flashes immediately. He's a five-star prospect. You know he's the real deal. You offer him early. You build that relationship over multiple years. But, like, the the balance between doing stuff like that, um, finding the guys in your own state and monitoring them and deciding who to offer early and who not to offer early, and then, like, the way you cap a class by, you know, being a pirate for a couple weeks and, and pillaging other other programs' classes um, is fascinating to me. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if uh, whoever uh, was in the – uh, Louisville recruiting room read that quote. It's like God, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's like they have, I think we talked about it before. Like these programs have no chance. Like once, once yeah. the Ohio State's and Alabama's and Clemson's, like yeah, we want that guy. Like he's theirs. Yeah, but he was also like at the bottom of of where was he in Louisville's class? Like in the middle somewhere. Like you would never. Well, think now that, he'd be oh. now. I bet he'd be somewhere closer to the top because he rose up to a four star prospect. But at the time, I bet he was in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think he's going to be good. I like him. All right. Yeah, you did like him. I got uh, some questions that uh, I wrote a mailbag that's going to be on The Athletic on Friday. You can read that. But I wanted to pull – some of these questions I answered, some of them I didn't. But I wanted to get your uh, opinions on some of them. Uh, let's start – do you think people care about Big Ten Awards? I don't. Okay, I'm going to ask you this question anyway. <laughs> <laughs> from dan m uh which was the bigger error in the big 10 awards haskell garrett's lack of respect and haskell garrett was a third team selection by the coaches and not a selection at all by the media or sean wade winning defensive back of the year either way i gotta talk shit right <laughs> uh yeah like i don't think it's like sean wade from the one defensive back of the year we know why he won because he has, he's a big name. He's a good player. He's just not had that kind of season, but he won anyway. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's also like funny too because there hasn't been enough time in the year for him to actually like work through stuff. Yeah, you know, and I think that like anybody who who talks about Ohio State didn't play enough games, they're going to have an advantage when they get to the playoff because they're fresh. Also, doesn't think about the other side of the coin of best player on the team who whose ejection might have led to Ohio State losing to Clemson in the playoff a year ago, having a so-so season by his standard and hasn't had a chance to play through it. Like, like those are types of things that I think about too in that in that regard. But I think Haskell Garrett has turned out to be one of the best players on this defense. And if you're one of the best players on Ohio State's defense, you're not a third-team All-Big Ten selection. Is he their best player? I think he might be their best player. He might be. This year. He's had an incredible year, yeah. I think he might be their best player, and he was third This is like what we thought that Teron Vincent was going to be. Right, right. And it's like, whatever. I'm sure he's he's not thrilled that he wasn't first-team All-Big Ten, and and maybe he'll use that and play his ass off on Saturday. Um, it's just a little embarrassing to me that like people who voted in the media Big Ten poll like didn't have him on any team, and that the coaches picked him third. But like that could be SIDs filling out ballots and not knowing what they're looking at. No offense to the SIDs of the world, you help us do our job. But it was still it was an, it was an egregious decision. As I if the SIDs are in any worse shape to know what they're looking right. at than the people that are voting for right. it. Yeah, I thought of all the things that pe- like people got upset about. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, and I think they were first team on one team and second team on another because of David Bell and Ty Freifogel. Like all those guys are really good. I'm I'm fine with how that shook out. Haskell Garrett, I thought was was a mistake. Uh, Sean Wade, I just thought was like lack of or laziness. Maybe I guess putting Sean Wade to DB of the year was laziness. And then Wyatt Davis won Offensive Lineman of the Year, and Wyatt Davis is also very good, but he hasn't even been the best offensive lineman on his own team this year. Um, Thayer Munford, I think, has been, and Nick Petit Frere, I think, has played a little more consistently than Wyatt has. But Wyatt won it too. It's like these guys with the big names who people thought were going to be first round picks How won the awards. Many people who vote in this from a percentage standpoint, do you think look at the preseason list before they vote in the postseason list? All of them. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what it is. Like, it's, ob- it's obvious what happened, but it's just like I, like, I think on some level, like these awards matter a little bit. Um, I mean, they matter to the kids. Yeah. Like, you feel bad for the players. Like, they're the ones who, who earned it or didn't earn it, you know. And you know, but here's the thing: Haskell played himself into being maybe a first day draft pick, so um, he'll he'll be laughing last. Yeah. I, the other thing that's interesting with Haskell Garrett is Ohio State did all that Senior Day stuff last week. They didn't have a game, but they honored all their seniors on social media, and Haskell Garrett wasn't part of that. And he is a senior. He's played all four years. Never redshirted. He has this extra year available. Maybe he's still just trying to figure out what he wants to do. But I thought it was interesting that he wasn't included in any of that. And, and it makes me wonder if he's going to come back next year. Which would be great because they really need him. Yeah, I wonder that. I wonder who else is going to come back. It's crazy. The I wrote him down. Like Haskell Garrett, Jake Hausman. After our talk on the phone yesterday? No, I wrote. I, when I saw the videos go out on Twitter last week, I wrote down who was in them and who wasn't. And I think the seniors who weren't in them were... Um, Haskell Garrett, Jake Hausman, Marcus Williamson, Demario McCall, and Jalen Harris were the seniors who were. Everyone, every other senior was in there, and Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis were also in there as fourth-year juniors. So I think most of the guys are leaving. Some maybe are still weighing their decisions. Maybe some didn't care to be included in the social media post. Yeah, that sucks when you start thinking about losing that moment because I know how important that moment is for people. Yeah, uh, but yeah. Yeah, Justin Fields, is he coming back? Stay tuned. No, he's not coming back. Um, speaking of Justin speaking of Justin Fields, I, I thought this question was interesting. Maybe you think it's dumb and the answer is obvious. Uh, it was from Robert S. 
He said, after seeing Justin Fields finally go full JT and Braxton mode against Michigan State, which like isn't that's a little bit hyperbolic, but I get what he's saying. Uh, he says, how important is a healthy Justin Fields for the playoff run, which is like an obvious answer, but he asked this. Would you rather have a 2020 healthy Fields and Sermon and Master Teague or the 2019 injured version of Fields with JT or with J.K. Dobbins in the backfield with him for this playoff run? Ladder, I think. You got, you'd take I would take the injured. You would take the yeah. the, the banged up Fields and Dobbins over this healthy Fields and this in these running back tandem. Yeah, that's what I would do. I would take the I would take the the running back because that's the more complete situation, in my opinion. Yeah, I I don't I think it's an interesting question. I, I think I would take the healthy fields. If you if I can get the healthy fields and like a guarantee that Ryan Day is gonna let him run, um, which I think he would, and I think he would have last year if he was physically able to, um, I think I take the healthy fields over banged up fields and elite Dobbins. But it's close. I, I, I'm I'm glad you took the the second one, the 2019 version, because I wasn't. I thought maybe you'd dismiss this question offhand. So it's interesting you answered it that way. I think that Ohio State's offense, for the most part, was better with Dobbins because he's an explosive um, running back, and they don't have that this year. And like, I don't think the teams that they would be playing in the playoff this year are as good as last year's teams. So I think if you added another explosive piece to the backfield, not to mention that the receivers are, are deeper this year, it might actually create a more balanced offense because I think Ohio State has a weakness in the running attack. Yeah. No, I think I think that's fair. I'd still take healthy fields because I think he's – he's, and it's like it's not just healthy. It's like the 2020 version of fields, and I think he's a little more polished as a passer this year, has a better understanding of the offense. Um, so I think I'd take this version of fields – Almost paired with anything over a banged up version of Fields paired with almost anything, um, but it's a it's a it's a thinker it's a thinker for how sure. much how much what like what percentage do you think Fields was last year? Um, like he wasn't a hundred percent, but like he had probably the best game of his career in the Clemson game. So it's not like we're talking about a t- a player that's way way worse. And like, is he injured as what how good he is this year? Or is he or is he just last year's version? I think he's last year's version. I think in this question he's last year's version. Everything he was in 2019 Clemson game or everything he is right now. I mean, it's a hard question, yeah. but I would take the running back. Yeah. I'd add I'd add more talent or all around. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's fair. Cuz last year's version of Justin Fields was, was just as plenty good enough to win a national championship in this year's field yeah he was probably like 90 percent last year i don't think his passing was terribly thrown off i think his mobility in the pocket was thrown off a little bit and i think his burst was there was that that run we've talked about before where like he escaped the massive bodies and like i said in the press box like how did he get out of that i think if he's healthy he might have scored on that play instead of running like 25 yards or whatever it wasn't sliding um so he has his explosion to him I thought there was stuff in the Michigan State game that was a reminder of sort of how dynamic he can be in the open field if he ever does that regularly. And I think he will start to do that regularly moving forward because they need it. Um, and I'd rather have that than like a little bit hobbled Justin Fields who's not as threatening as he possibly can be um, in the run game. <coughs> Similar question, we'll end on that. We'll end on this question. Maybe it's a quick answer. If you could have one player from last year's team back for this playoff push, who would it be? Chase Young. Yeah, Chase Young is my answer, too. I was hoping you'd uh, take longer to talk about that because I have a thing stuck in my throat that I need to take care of. <laughs> what are the other options? J.K. Dobbins. Um, Jeff, o- Jeff, Jeff Okuda. Okuda. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, well, you might have a debate on, on Jeff Okuda as you gargle. Um, I, you know, Ohio State secondary might be the biggest issue right now, but I don't know that I feel 100% comfortable about um, where they are with the pass rush, too. Haskell Garrett stepping up has made a big difference, and Tyreek Smith had a pretty big sack. I don't know. Uh, whenever you take a player who can change an entire game plan based on his presence, like the way Chase Young did, I think you just have to take it. I think, obviously, you'd want to add a lockdown corner, maybe give Sean Wade more room to run and or roam and, and have a different uh, alignment in that secondary. But, like, Chase Young was an animal and maybe one of the best player, top five best players I saw. You know, Akuda too. I mean, what, who do you take, the number three pick or the number two pick in the NFL? I don't know, man. I take Young. But I think Young is the clear answer here. I think Young is the most disruptive player I've seen seen at Ohio State. Yeah, I think that I would agree with that. I, I don't know. I mean, Nick Bosa and Joey Bosa and their primes were probably in that in that dynamic. But what what Chase Young did, I, I don't think. I think that takes you from uh, a a pretty good defense to an elite defense, and I think a large part of the reason why Okuda's stats were as good as they were is because of Young. Yeah, Chase Young. Okuda's changed, stats were ridiculous. He just changed the timing of everything. Like team teams have more time to throw the ball this year, which is why I think some of the passing numbers are increased. It's not the only reason, but it's part of the reason. You had to get the ball out of your hands in like three seconds or less last year. Or Chase Young was was sacking you, or two seconds or less last year because Chase Young was sacking you. He just speeds up everything. He even did it against Clemson. If you go back and watch that Clemson game. Like Clemson did not do very much offensively. I hit a couple of big plays. Couple of screens had that one long quarterback run, but like they weren't moving the ball up and down the field on Ohio State because they couldn't block Chase Young, and Chase Young was in Trevor Lawrence's face even if he didn't have a ton of sacks. It's like that guy changes games in a way that no one on this roster, maybe other than Justin Fields, does. Um, so I take him. I wouldn't think twice about it. I think he's the answer ten times out of ten. Man, we're not agreeing too much. When you hit me with something that you know, I'll, I'll agree with. Do you think that recruiting is important to winning a national championship, Bill? No. You know, I think uh, I think recruiting matters, but I'm always more about um, coaching and development. I think coaching matters more than recruiting. I don't pay too much, too close attention to the stars either because, as you know, J.J. Watt was a two-star pro- prospect, and he became the best defensive lineman in the NFL. So I agree. <laughs> good. We're, we're swaying each other's opinions. Okay. Let's end the show. Because I'm going to choke on something. I don't know what's going on over here. <clears throat> Ohio State plays Northwestern on Saturday in the Big Ten Championship. Kickoff is at noon on Fox. I'll be there. And then the playoff show is noon on Sunday on ESPN. So we should know probably by 12.30 Sunday uh, if Ohio State is going to the playoff, who it's playing. I don't know if we'll know where it's playing because there's some stuff going on with the Rose Bowl if they could put in that game that I think could end the Rose Bowl being moved. But we're approaching the end of what's been a turbulent and sometimes difficult to talk about and uh, tiresome, I think, in some respects, regular season. But I think there's going to be a playoff, and I think Ohio State's going to be a part of it. But first, got to take care of Northwestern on Saturday in Indianapolis. So we'll talk to you guys after that game. We'll talk to you about the playoff. And uh, thanks for listening to this episode of 4 to 6 with AMB. Thank you.